Limited mileage. That's Rich Bennett, today's guest, and myself performing Steely Dan's Nugget Peg as an instrumental. Rich and I recorded that in 2000-something, seven, eight, and I thought it would be a much more apropos intro to the podcast between he and I. Hello, welcome. My name's Greg Hoy. This is my podcast, Limited Mileage. Uh, As of today, the world is being attacked by what? We're not sure. Supposedly, it's a coronavirus. Oh, listen to that. Uh, Rich is a dear friend. I've known Rich um, for multiple stages of my life. He's a musical collaborator he's a great artist and I knew our podcast would be interesting Uh, it also turned out to be very long that's me mouthing the trumpet I think Rich played all the actual instruments on this I played the drum machine percussion and whistles Rich and I talk a lot about technology and talent. We talk about Billy Joel's best record. We talk about other recording studios. He and I recorded together at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio um, some years ago. He's played on a bunch of uh, great stuff himself. He has a brand new record out today under the pseudonym... Hold on. I promised him I'd say it. I have to look it up. I haven't listened to it yet. Roman Angelos. Rich, sorry if I screwed that up. R-O-M-A-N. Next word. Maybe it's Angelos. A-N-G-E-L-O-S. I I hear you shaking your head and laughing, Rich. The record's called Spacetronic Lunchbox, and I am excited to work out to it today. I I guarantee it's a banger. Rich is a co-owner of a recording studio in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Very rare to have a downtown Brooklyn recording studio. It's called Acme Hall. And, um, you know, if you're in Brooklyn and you want to get lessons um, or you want to record an album, Rich is the guy. Although, who knows, with the State of the Union, when we'll be able to even be in a room together. Oh, yeah. Steely Dan. How's everybody doing? Um, If you're listening to this near term to when I'm putting it out into the world, you're probably sad, lonely, frightened, confused, and quarantined. Uh, I'm right there with you. I've spent most of my days, uh, my wife and I have a house we bought recently, and we are doing things like walking with the dogs and working out. I've, I was asked to join a fantastic 
uh, Facebook group called Quarantine Cover Songs, which any other time in the world I probably would have not given a second thought to. But thank you, Mark Spader, uh, uh, colleague, musician from Pittsburgh from back in the 90s, I think, started it. And then uh, Chris Maselli, an old friend, invited me. And every day I look forward to thinking about what cover song I will be recording and performing for this Facebook group. And I think really uh, routine is the most important thing. Maintaining routine to maintain sanity during this unprecedented backwards fucking reality that we're all living in. Um, I think most urban areas are already on lockdown. According to the map last night that the mainstream media posted a lot of states are not taking this as seriously and who knows i don't have any answers um it's convenient to have an invisible enemy that's everywhere and nowhere all at once it's like it's like love really love and coronavirus two sides of the same crazy thing um what else I'm thinking I was working on a musical. Uh, I've kind of shut my mind down a little bit. Maybe that's why this cover song project's so fun. Uh, I do want to write a book. I think the one thing I'll say to anyone listening to this, excuse me, don't feel compelled to do anything. Like, you don't have to lose 30 pounds. This isn't your time to, you know, have to paint the whole house or learn a new language. You can just sit and be and 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 soak up life and 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 there is no harm and there is no uh no judgment in that i think i myself uh i have a few things i have to exercise exercise is important and and you know i'm going to do it i got a peloton yeah i'm one of those people greg underscore hoy just go ahead and add me. You know, we can video chat if we uh, if we're riding the ride together. Isn't that cool? Giving in to being in isolation. Anyway, Rich and I had a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. We talk a lot about recording stuff, old synthesizers, uh, getting in the right headspace of recording. Um, some of the great studios and engineers he and I have worked with. Be safe. Be calm. And uh, I'm here. If you want to reach out, you know, send me an email, send me a text. I'm happy to talk. Happy to uh, to share the human condition of right now with you. Thank you, Rich Bennett. I appreciate our friendship and our musical camaraderie. And um, I had to edit the shit out of this because Rich and I went on a lot of tangents. And I also, uh, it was recorded earlier this week um, when I was in the midst of what I can only describe as an allergy attack. I don't think it's coronavirus. There's no fever, but man, I have been sneezing and sniffling uh, as my body acclimates to the oak trees all around me. I love you all and uh, wash your hands. Here's Rich. You like that? Oh yes, Rich Bennett. Hello, Greg. How are you doing? Hello, today? Rich Bennett. Welcome to the uh, the podcast, the Limited Mileage Podcast. 
I'm going to take and out you the want a new car. <laughs> That's a little uh, song I wrote. Is that your song? Yeah. Well, you know, it's now the beginning of the podcast because I hit the red button while you were playing it. Yeah, I heard. Ha! I saw. Uh, Rich, how you doing, thanks Greg? For doing. How are you? We're both. Okay, this is the second podcast I've done with a musical professional that's used their own microphone in their own studio. You're wow. only the second person to do that. Yeah. What? Um, tell us, set the scene. We know you're in Brooklyn because I will have said that in the intro. And we know you own a recording studio in the heart of Park Slope, Brooklyn. Describe the scene where you are right now. Like, did you choose a room that would be acoustically perfect for this podcast? I could have chosen a slightly better room, but I chose the control room just so I could be near my computer and everything else I need in order to successfully record. So it's pretty good. It's it's well equipped. And hey, guess what? Nobody is here. You know why? <laughs> You've been keeping up on the news? I don't know if anyone out there is is familiar with this, if they're listening to this near when it launches, but we're not allowed to leave our houses. Well, here times, unfortunately. I like the word interesting times. Well, you than know that end, curse? End times. <laughs> Do you know the old curse? <laughs> Which is? May you live to see interesting times. Oh, well, there you go. I think we're in the middle of it. I myself am drinking at two o'clock in the afternoon, PST, a Basil Hayden neat. What and are you I, having? Oh, I'm having a bullet over here, 5 p.m. EST. And Greg, I got to tell you, I took a sip of this and it really did remind me of you. <laughs> I am both humbled and frightened at how many people are reminded of me when they drink. No, well, you know what? It's not just that. It's that when you lived upstate in upstate New York, yes. I think you maybe were, were on a bullet phase. You're on a bullet train when you were there and we drank much bullet and we were working on a record together. And so, you know, and those were uh, better times in a lot of ways. They were times when the 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 world was a little more of a frontier. I, we, I had a, an eight track uh, one inch or was it half inch half inch machine? And you were working on a record, which I forget the name of. And I apologize. Which record oh, that's of, fine. of yours? That was on holiday on holiday, which I still listen to. Uh, yeah, I find it it's on a good one. Bandcamp and Spotify. Um, and we were trying to record. I remember we were trying to record the tape. And the problem was you wanted to work on it on your own in your own home at that time in Brooklyn. Yes. Is that correct? I think I did some work at home. Yeah. All that bullet. I can't remember anything. <laughs> but it was during that time where you and I, uh, I think both of us were still in that like learning how to do shit phase. I think that that's accurate. And I think we were craving learning about EQing. I remember like doing a lot of <laughs> interneting on like compression and all that crazy shit that still was such a, you know, you couldn't necessarily just hit a preset, which thankfully now you can. It makes life a lot easier, I think. These kids, they don't know how to struggle with their EQ <laughs> settings. No, I was woefully uh, uneducated at the time. I mean, I knew how to write songs and record, like actually literally just stand in front of a mic and record. But uh, I did not know as much as I know now. Yeah. And how much would you say you know now? How would you quantify? <laughs> how do you quantify? 
What's <laughs> if I? <laughs> what's one hundred percent? Who is like one hundred percent? Are we talking? Um, uh, who, who's the one hundred percent mark? And I'll tell you how much percent I know compared to them. The president of the United States. Oh, I mean, can you go over a hundred percent? Or I don't even know how to compare myself to them. Here's the way I look at it, and and maybe you'll. I hope I can articulate this in a way you'll understand. I think you and I communicate well. Uh oh. I feel like I am way more. I have been to the mountain, and I have paid enough people to do things that I'm okay doing stuff by myself. And when I don't do stuff by myself, I am making a very intentional choice to pay or work with someone else that I know will have a different take on it. Is that accurate? Yeah, I I would say that. I've learned a lot in the last year and a half from a few projects I've been on, the the beauty and the power of uh getting someone else involved and and uh and what that means and how to let go and all those kinds of things. How does that, you know, cuz you're one of those people that people will come to and say, you know, I would assume they say Rich help me make my record or help me do my recording or all the different things that happen as a studio owner. How does that feel being that person for other people like now that the student is the master? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think it really differs with everybody. There are some people who come in and you just know that they don't want your opinion. You know that right. they. Right. Yeah. And and you could feel that out and you give them some tips and you give them some pointers and they just kind of bristle at it all. And maybe they even say they want your opinion, but they really don't. Right. And, uh, you know, not to cast a net, but many of those end up being old white men. (laughs) (laughs) You've Uh, casted a net. It wasn't your net to cast. It's been cast for years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But then there are other people who are really open to your ideas. And and I love it. I love being a part of it. Um, I mean, it's what makes it fun. I do not like being a, um, what's the word I use? A mouse jockey. Yeah. Where I'm just basically clicking the mouse or hitting the number three on the on the number pad to record in Pro Tools. I mean, that's incredibly boring. Uh, yeah. So I, I love being involved and I like a good conversation. I like a good back and forth, even if, you know, people are not taking what I first say. You know, we're kind of figuring it out together. Um, it's a really great experience. And I wish I had that all the time. As a business owner, and I am a business owner as well, how do yes. you suss out someone comes to you and they say, hey, Rich, I want to record. How do you suss out the balance of being worth your time versus I will take their money? Mm. You know, well, I have two aspects of my business. It's uh, I teach music lessons and I also record and mix And because I have another side of my business, I'm able to consider whether or not it's worth my time uh, to record. And a lot of times, I mean, listen, any business owner or any person working knows that a lot of times it's just like, oh, shit, do I am I making enough money this month? Is it worth it? Yeah, I got to (laughs) eat. Right, right. I get it. Uh, But um Yeah, it gives me a little more flexibility to know whether or not it's worth it. But I have to say, 
uh, I've been open for five years now. And in the first four years, I think everything was kind of worth it, even if it was not a good project or experience or interesting right. musical content, because I was just getting my shit together. And uh, I'm not sure how many of my old clients will be listening to this, but, you know, <laughs> making <laughs> making records for people who are who who their music is not going to be listened to allows you a certain amount of uh, birth to fuck up. And then yeah. try and try and fix those, but not really fix them all that well. And so, yeah. Can I curse on this podcast? Fuck yes, you can, Rich. <laughs> I mark I mark every episode explicit, even if there's no swearing. Actually, I had one a couple weeks ago. There was no swearing, so I did not mark it explicit. But for wow. the most part, I, I am a swearer and I encourage others to swear. I think it's healthy. Um, okay, that's great. And then there's some stuff in there I want to dig through. And the first thing is when you... Do you remember the first time you had not clearly not naming names, but maybe you recall a time when you had a situation where someone bought a lockout or someone was coming to you to work. Maybe they seemed legit or legit's not the word. Maybe they seemed easygoing <laughs> up front, but when the chips were down and they, you were working on something they were creating, you saw a different side of their personality come out. Um, how do you deal with that? Like, when you're in the middle of it and and we've all been there in our work. Yeah. I think you gotta be, if you're prepared for it, then I think you have some tools to deal with it. I think that it's pretty easy to say working in music and recording, everybody freaks out during the mixing stage because you yeah. finally get to look at yourself. I mean, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're nude or however you want to say. Uh, <laughs> and you're looking at all, you know, you're looking at your at your body in the nude and you're kind of like, "Oh shit, is that how I sound? Is that what it sounds like?" And and you know, I I people always get start to get anxious around that time. And um I think I'm just I'm I'm ready for it. I know how to put them at ease. Uh, I also know that it's a good idea to prepare something for them before just like throwing them into the process. And what I mean is like I do basic mixes and setups before anybody even walks into quote unquote mix. Right. Um, so that it like sa it almost sounds like a record when they walk in um, because if it doesn't, like I say, they start to freak out. They don't know what the hell is going on. Uh, so if it sounds like closer to finished, maybe they're a little bit um, more at ease. And I think that's just it. You just got to put people, you know, in a comfortable position. Um, but I think that everybody freaks out when it comes to that stage. Just to be clear, if someone comes to you and by the time they're mixing their record, you insist everyone take their clothes off. <laughs> I really should. Um <laughs> And I, but I would probably have to do myself. I mean, listen, I mix. I don't want to talk about, but uh, I mix uh, pantsless very often. <laughs> you know it what? Just, I think this is a good time. You're a, you're a trendsetter. I think everyone's doing a lot of things pantsless these days. Oh yeah. I mean, I you know I called up a good friend when I was working on the mixing project, and he answered. He was doing FaceTime, and he was like totally shirtless. And I was like, dude, you work without clothes too when you're mixing? He was like, yeah, of course I do. This is like, it's obvious that you, you work the best. You're free, you know, and you don't. So, so I like it. 
as a uh, as a musician, which is how I met you. I met you. You were playing guitar. Uh, oh yeah, with your with your now wife Rebecca. Yep. Um, how that you've you've become a engineer, a owner of a recording studio, um, which is pretty awesome in the middle of Brooklyn. I think that's a a a, a star in your crown. A lot of people, you know, uh, have you know not been able to do that type of thing because of the real estate. And because of, you know, other things, how have you transitioned and how do you sort of know when to turn off the musician brain when you're sitting down making a record with somebody? Mm, It's hard. And I don't know that I I do. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I don't know that I do. And I, I, I think that that's like, at least it's something that I can bring. But, you know, when I have to turn. So guitar being my specialty and also being a guitar teacher. I have like a really good insight into the instrument, like across the board. Listen, I ain't trying to brag here, but, (laughs) but when I have to turn it off is when, uh, especially with a guitarist, you hear somebody reach a certain point and you go, ah, could you pick a little lighter? Could you hold down the string? Could you do this? And you hear them struggling with it. And again, being a teacher, I know when somebody is at a point that they can't overcome this. Right. So at that point, you just got to be like, all right, man, you know, you're just going to be stabbing the guitar and I'm going to have to work with that. Or your right. your solo is going to go out of key or uh, your chords aren't going to be clear. And that's it. You know, I can't do anything about it. I, I tried my best. And so I yeah. guess when you when you find you reach a certain point with somebody and you try and have that discussion and, and you just you, you get that feeling, you're like, nope not happening. You got to just yeah. be like, turn it off, go into mouse jockey, mouse yeah. jockey status and uh, just roll, roll with it. Yeah. I talked to uh, someone, a well-known someone years ago who was oh. uh, mixing a, a mixing a record for a, a, a pretty decent pop punk band, like someone you would have heard of. Uh-huh. And I called him and he, I said, what are you doing right now? And he said, I am, I am auto tuning guitar chords. Oh yeah. And, wow. and I said, and this was kind of before that was something people talked about. And I said, why are you auto-tuning guitar chords? And he said, because they wouldn't let me intonate their guitars before we recorded. I asked if I could and they wouldn't let me like, they basically wow. said, no, we like the sound of these guitars. And then when they turned in the record, the label or whoever it was, was like, it's something's off and we don't know what it was. And he's like, (laughs) I knew what it, he's like, I knew what it was. It was like all the guitars, you know, had a, like a semi quaver tone off. And I think that's like part of what you're talking about, which is, I think at some point you are doing service. Someone is coming in and they're asking you to do a service. Even if you know best quote unquote, you kind of have to polish a turd. Yeah, I've I've reached a point now when I started I think I wanted to perfect everybody's record and I think I've reached a point now where as you say if the person doesn't want you to intonate their guitar and you push yeah. as hard as you can or or as much as is you know respectful then you know they just deal with it and then when they turn back and they say hey my guitar is out of tune you go yeah yeah, I mentioned it, it remember? And, uh, <laughs> you know, you want to track it again? You want to do something else? I could give you some tips on 
ways to deal with this. But uh, but yeah, you you just kind of I, I I've become much more comfortable with with letting those things be. Whereas in the beginning, when I was probably a lot more doubtful of myself, I I, I was trying to perfect everything. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, you kind of get into that thing where it's it's not I think sometimes we have this restaurant mentality like I do with my business where I feel like mm. people are coming to me and I want to give them this premium experience. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if their taste is only, you know, burgers and fries, it doesn't matter what, you know, steak and potatoes I hand them. And uh, I think very good point. I think that's a really like I think it did take me a little while to realize that. And I think you and I are similar in that way because we want things we're involved in to be, you know, elevated on some level. Yeah, of course. And not everybody wants the Steely Dan experience <laughs> as I as I am able to provide. And, you know, actually, it's become a thing that I use with people to sort of deflect and and see if they really want my input. Somebody will say, um, yeah, is that uh guitar attitude? Is that vocal attitude? And I go before they start, you know, I say before I give my answer. Uh, listen, I want you to know Steely Dan is my favorite band. So yeah. I view things through that lens. So if you really want my opinion, I will give it to you. But take it with that grain of salt. And actually, I've had a lot of people say, eh, you know what? But at least they know what I'm approaching it from. Right, right. They, they know your perspective. Right. This guy's got an ear that is oriented towards that sort of thing. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I find that that helps. Limited mileage. Um, that's a good jumping off point because you said grain of salt. And then I was thinking more about cooking and I was thinking how you can just throw a bunch of salt on shit and then it tastes great no matter what. How has technology maybe... I'm going to ask you a two-sided two question, Rich. How has technology both helped uh, maybe people become recording artists? And then how are some of the ways you've seen it sort of become more of a crutch to maybe better performance, better uh, craft? That's a good question. Would you, I'll say that, would you? I'll, yeah, while you're thinking about it, I'll say that from the perspective of I learned to record on a four track cassette and I'm not saying it like an old person, but I did. And when computers came out and you could record on a computer and I got pro tools free in like 2000, whenever that was 2001, I was like, this is amazing. Anyone can sit down by themselves in a room and make a record. And I thought that trumped any amount of, uh, that kind of get off of my lawnness that I've felt over the years. I still, <laughs> I still now, I mean, I know there's balances and there's, there's checks in there. And I think now more than ever, people want to know about authenticity. I mean, like, let's think about what's going on with the media and let's think about what's going on with the government and how information's getting out. Blah, 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 blah. But when you're thinking about it from, I'm sitting in a room as an engineer recording this band and I'm a musician myself, how have you seen technology be, uh, the, like both sides of the coin yeah. for you. Well, so on the on the side of helping people, I think that the benefit is that, okay, so we say anybody can record and anybody can do anything. And at a point we were saying it democratizes music, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that that's been proven to be a bit of a simplification, somewhat bullshit. But what I'll say is that I think it allows people who have 
really, really weird and eclectic approaches to just really spread their wings. I have a old student and he's probably 16 now. And he sent me a record that he did when he first started taking lessons. And it was the weirdest thing I had ever heard in my life. He recorded it all on GarageBand with like kind of these prefab sounds, but he was really into like Daniel Johnston and the Shags and all this sort of outsider music. And it was something wholly original. And it was just wow. amazing. And I, 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 I listen to it still to this day. And I think the kid is like just, just brilliant in so many ways. So that, that record would have never gotten made, I think, in the past. And I even thought about saying to him, hey, dude, why don't you come and record in my place? But I actually think that that's a bad idea because I was like, you know what? Yeah. This approach he has, it's just like these garage band sounds like actually the, the, the crappiness or, or the, the coldness of them adds to this just like completely weird thing that he's got going on. So I think that that's awesome. I think the main thing about using it as a crutch, uh, the, the technology, all this technology making modern music. It can still be open hearted. <laughs> uh, is that people don't really know what it can do. I think that that's kind of the most difficult thing I run into. So yeah. we all know that you could auto-tune vocals or Melodyne, whatever you prefer to use. But you still kind of need to be a good singer. And we all know that you could edit in drum hits, but you still need to know how to play your instrument. And so I've had people come in who sound like, the garage band from uh, Long Island. Yeah. Thinking that I'm going to turn them into, you know, Billy Joel's, you know, the stranger or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> through, through Hold on. His best record is the stranger. Oh, wait, I thought you were a nylon curtain guy. I have migrated my opinion. I, oh. when I was going through my divorce, the nylon curtain was my record, but now right. in retrospect and having hated Billy Joel long enough, I still can give the stranger high props. Stranger is great. I was actually part of a, um, of a cover night that we did, uh, the entirety of the stranger. And it was really, it was so much fun. People friggin' love Billy Joel. Did you have two guitarists? No. You know why? Did you, did you use a harmony pedal for the for the leads? Oh, on the stranger, dude. I need you. You you know me. I don't need no harmony pedal. You're gonna need it for that. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, I got it. I figured you're it saying, out. You're saying you played that. Uh, you double stopped that. You played both notes at the same time. Yep. Well, you know what you could do, which I've done in the past. When, when we used to play Are You Gonna Go My Way in college band, I used to do the, <laughs> I used to double the guitar part by singing it into the microphone, which was very, oh, that's very a good one. effective. Yep. That's a, that's a, if I may so say so, that's a Greg Hoy move. I, I just, just like, just, <laughs> just makes sense. Like I could, I could see you doing it. I'm seeing you do it right now in Pittsburgh in the, well, I don't want to say what time period. I don't want to. I don't know if you've shared your age on this podcast. Oh, I'm. You know, I'm in my late mid twenties, thirties, forties, something like that. <laughs> I'm around there. 
Uh, yeah, so, but people, so, so I just find that people don't know the extent to what you can do, uh, and, and maybe expect that, you know, the kick drum that sounds like, you know, a floofy, um, pipe, (laughs) I don't know where that came from, is going to sound like, you know, (laughs) a thunderous sub, um, now I will say that on our end, on on the end of engineers, we can do all sorts of crazy stuff, um, right. helping out those kinds of sounds, and and technology has made that really easy. But yeah, the idea of well, can't you just make that better? I.e., make it sound like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, there's that disconnect as to what technology can actually do. So, right. And I think, you know, I think it's good to have the healthy balance. Like I I think I've reached a point where I'm always you know, I'm kind of always teetering between getting live performances and then, you know, doing things in the mix and and adding things. And the, I think the more you read about how great creative works were done from writing the Bible, which is arguably one of the most popular books of all time to maybe like the newest, uh, you know, uh, Marvel comics release. You need a healthy dose of analog and digital is the Bible analog and the Marvel releases digital. Well, the Bible to me, uh, is beyond analog and digital. It's actually in the supernatural. So when you think about the fact that you had all these people working on it, uh, during a time when most people couldn't write or read, uh, it's yeah. a miracle that the Bible, as we know it, is in pretty much every third-rate hotel room across America. Yes, that's true. One could say the Christian Bible was the first widely distributed piece of art. One could say that. I mean, who? Who? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who could Sounds argue right. that? I mean that sounds like something that you uh that that you're that you're confident in in its uh truth. So I don't know. So I'm just going to well, go with you on this one. One thing I've learned rich, if you say things a certain way, people believe them. And I mean Jesus. I th- I think that's a real Jesus. You said it. You said it right there. Jesus, exactly. Uh you and I recorded a record together in Chicago uh oh, some yeah. years ago Fun with time. Steve out Al- Steve Albini, and it was uh, during a time in my life when I was not in a good headspace, and I was never really happy. Uh, don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. I was never really happy with the mixes. So just this past year, uh, I digitized uh, some of the two-inch tapes, and I went to Sylvia Massey up in Ashland. And it's talk about like how technology can take something that was so raw and real and really kind of flip it and make it fresh and alive again. Um, what did you think of the new mixes? That's the thing I want oh, to ask. You. <laughs> I thought they were amazing. I loved them. I think I probably I, even sent it to you and I was like, yeah, man, this is, this is where it's at. Uh, yeah. you know, hopefully Steve is not listening. And even if he is, never. he's probably just like, who, never. whatever, man. Onto he his next remember fluffy us. coffee. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, remember he us. doesn't remember us. And I think that was part of it. And I, and I think I held those mixes as precious for a long time. I'm glad I I, I revisited them because the thing I said to her uh, while we were there and we were mixing, I said these songs now. I not only do I I I I found joy and love for them again, but I am empathetic to the person I was 
at the time mm. they were made. And I think that's what great to me, like a great uh, art experience at the end of the day. Like I think about that recording as something that went through so many different phases and processes, but at the end of the day, it made me feel great. And I couldn't ever fault the fact that maybe we, you know, did some weird stuff to the snare drum digitally after that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's to me, like when you and I, I think when we were, you know, going back to that first thing, when we were recording up in my house in upstate New York, I was still about this authentic authenticity thing, excuse me. And I think I was stuck in that for a long time. Mm. Yeah, I it's well, I think that was something that was going around at that time. It's really mm-hmm. interesting to when I teach younger kids to watch how they develop as musicians and what they think and there was a time period probably in like 2006 to 2010 I would always give this lecture at a summer camp, music summer camp that I taught at, and it would be on the history of electronic music. And it would go all the way back to the theremin and really stopped at the 80s with MIDI. Um, And at the beginning of the class, I would always go, "Okay, who likes electronic music? Who thinks that it's cool? Nobody would raise their hand. And then I would go, you know, "Who, who thinks it's a bunch of bullshit? And like everybody would raise their hand. This is a rock camp, obviously. Yeah. So in like 2011, I was starting the same thing. And I said, who likes electronic music? Half the place raised its hand. And I said, who thinks it's a bunch of bullshit? And like two kids did. And at that time, I started to notice this change of people were less concerned about authenticity. Uh, You know, you and I were probably at this point where we were still trying to record to tape and like oh dude did you you know about such and such a studio he records to tape and he does the studer machine that they recorded you know fucking dreams on or whatever it is (laughs) not trying not trying to insult anybody who maybe live in the san francisco area and have a studio (laughs) that's based off of having a console from rumors (laughs) <laughs> or, or or Santana took a pee here. That's the big one. You know, uh, you know, Santana played here once. Oh my God, Santana! Have I got a story about Santana? But uh, maybe we'll smooth. save that for the end. Oh Part no! Two. But I would just want to put in a plug that "Game of Love" by Santana and Michelle Branch, top-notch song. I think that that's oh, friggin' brilliant. Had to go there. Had to go there. Had to, so had to throw that in there. So we were part of that sort of like 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 dying uh, end of authenticity and we were really into vintage synths and guitars and I don't yeah. think people care about that anymore. I yeah. have a student who recorded his whole record with like Smart Drummer from Logic or whatever that's called and sounds friggin' great and he doesn't give right. a shit about like – how you know that he used a fake drummer he's like i got a record it's right. awesome and i think like when i think about some of my favorite records it was like that 80s public enemy stuff you know where they're mm. like like gritty digital samples but they're all mixing in real time you know you read those stories or like yeah. the first the first couple nine inch nails records where you know he's like totally using the, the limitations of his computer to make sounds and yep. i think that's i think the uh and, th- and this was something, again, not to go back to Sylvia, my experience with Sylvia Massey, but like that's one of the things I really liked about her was she was into creating unique sounds and it didn't matter how. Like she wasn't really super oh, yeah. concerned. That's a great way. 
Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter how you get there. It's like no one. I had a friend, Dave Hill Jr., who's a great drummer. He lives up in the Northwest, and we shared a rehearsal space for a while around the same time period you and I met. It must have been like mm-hmm. 2001, 2002. And I remember I was so obsessed with this, like, how, how, how. And he's like, anyone that listens to a record does not give a shit how it's made. They only care about how it makes them feel. And I think that was one of the greatest things that anyone had said to me up until that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I th- I think it's uh, anybody who I who I work with. I also say, like, it's all smoke and mirrors, man. Like whatever you're I mean, some records are just four dudes in a room jamming. But a lot of the records you like, they took time out to change the bass tone or swap out the totally. bass or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and these records were not made just by dudes or chicks playing uh, in a room together. It's all smoke and mirrors. So when I put a piece of tape on your sixth string, because you can't figure out how to get it to stop ringing, it doesn't mean that you suck. I mean, it kind of means that you suck. It means like you suck a little bit. It means your guitar sucks. (laughs) Your guitar sucks. Uh, But it, but you know, this is just how this stuff is done. And uh, I agree with that. And I still do run into people who have that mentality of like, oh, but this is how, you know, it should be done. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can't I can't really answer that beyond a certain point. Sure. Because as I say, you, I'm a Steely Dan man. Well, do you think some of that is just the maturity of not worrying so much about what other people think? No. <laughs> oh, Interesting. I don't know what it is. I think it's a, it's a, um, it's like feeling that it reflects poorly on your self image. And I'll say that when I first started mixing, I used a ton of plugins to mess with shit. And I felt kind of bad about it because <laughs> you'd read these, you'd read these magazines and they're like, never compress less of more than three DB and never cut EQ more than two. And I was doing crazy weird shit. Um, And I guess I just, I I felt like, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. And I think you read, uh, you read about the Rolling Stones and what's the one that they recorded in France. Uh, Sticky fingers or Uh, I don't, I'm not a Stones guy. But like, you know, that's obviously like a, just a bunch of dudes hanging out and jamming, or that's at least my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people feel like when they come in and they're not able to pull that off, that it means that they are less than, um, so that's, that's what I personally think it comes down to. I think going along those lines, I think it's a lot about relationships and I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean the relationship you have with fellow musicians. It also means the relationship you have with the technology you're using, the relationship you have with, with the creativity and the, the art, the artistic merit you're giving the stuff you're making. And I think a lot of that work, and I think when people talk about, when people say things like records used to be better or art used to be better, anytime people step into that, my immediate reaction is I think people had a more thorough relationship with mm, whatever they're totally. using to, and that includes the people we went, you know, uh, we were in the airstream for a while and I, I toured a couple studios and one of the ones I went to was in muscle shoals. 
mm. um, you know, where the stones went after, uh, you know, they, you know, Keith Richards got a big old boner about going to record <laughs> in Alabama. And, um, you know, they're like, here's the bathroom where, you know, Keith Richards, like, you know, locked himself in the room and wrote wild horses, <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. like, you're in there and you're like, this is a fucking piece of shit bathroom, you know, and you realize something inspired him. You know, the relationship yeah. he had with the space, the relationship he had with the music already made in that space. But all of that relationship stuff is what inspired him to lock himself in that bathroom, probably with a, you know, bottle of Jack and some heroin or whatever, and make like write this amazing song. So you're advocating for the use of heroin and alcohol <laughs> in order to write songs. Uh, you know, I've never used heroin. I never will use heroin, but pretty much the one thing every heroin user that survived will tell you is that it's the greatest thing ever. It's amazing. Yeah, I could see that. I could I yeah. could take a guess. Uh I, I had a I don't good. I had a friend who went or is like related by a friend of a friend. I have a friend who does heroin. I thought that's what you're gonna say. <laughs> I have a friend who does heroin. <laughs> I think I must. I must have a friend who we, does the, heroin. The odds that we both have heroin friends. We must. Anyway, yeah. please go on. So uh, I had a friend of a friend who went down to Muscle Shoals, was either recording there or was engineering there. And he started to like move the mics or move the drums like ever so slightly. And the guys who were normally there like ran over in like in like fear. And they were like, what are you doing? And uh, he was like, oh, it's just moving. They're just like, they're like, do not move that. And speaking to your idea about relationship is like they have spent so much time there. I mean, how long has that studio been around? They've spent right. so much time there. They know like where to do this and what sounds good over here. And I and if I may say so, you know, I've started to develop that with my own studio because it's pretty much the only place I track in. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'll know what uh where what the weakness is here and what the strength is there and yes i agree and i haven't heard one engineer or mixing engineer or really anybody worth their salt who who hasn't said that it's about having a relationship and that's why people advocate and i don't think it matters what art form you're in for using like one thing for a while like don't go out and yep. buy 15 compressors use the two and like figure the shit out and then you can venture out from there. So along those lines, the piano that you hear on old time rock and roll oh, by Bob Seger, God. by the way, I bought, I finally bought terrible Bob Seger song. Hey, you need to stop that. I finally <laughs> bought some Bob Seger LPs that were recorded at muscle shoals after I went there. And let me tell you, getting past all of the, the the bonehead shit from the 80s when I was growing up listening to Bob Seger on the radio, the sound of those records is fantastic. That's what I wanted to tell you. Some of the um, most boring music I've ever heard in my on. life. Bob Seger writes <laughs> a great song. And uh, it's the same piano that they wrote and played uh, Freebird on. So you realize right. there's there's magic to have a relationship. And I don't think that piano moves. I think they leave it in the center. Right. Of the oh, I bet they do. Yeah, I think that's part of what you're saying. But it's you're right. It's like if you you got to get to know the tools. And here's the second part of that is do you uh, frequent Reddit? Are you a Reddit fan? I free I do frequent uh, Gear Sluts a little more, but is that still around? It is, and as anybody who even knows what that is, you know, you know to take it with a grain of salt and there are some really smart people on there. 
but yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a good tool to just even check out what's going on. Just get a right. get a sense of something. Somebody says, "Oh, buy the new Yeti right. mic," and you're like, "Is that actually any good?" So. <laughs> Here's what I like, and this probably is the same for gear sluts. With Reddit, is this, there is are you talking an- to me on a Yeti mic? Are you? Is your your? I don't like. Uh, I don't. I have a Yeti cooler that holds cold <laughs> beverages. Um, I like the fact that there's anonymity to people on probably gear sluts the same. Although people probably get to know you because you have links and stuff. But yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. I like about Reddit is it's completely anonymous. So I have a username and that's it. And just last night. I was asking a guy for advice on buying a handgun. And the reason I was asking that is because we're living in the bizarro world. But the thing he said that I really liked, I I threw a couple handguns at him. I said, hey, what do you think of this one? What do you think of that one? And he said, any gun is good if you spend the time to get to know it. And I feel that way about almost like if I'm, I'm looking around my room right now and I see a couple of guitars, I see an amp. I see uh, some of my video equipment for when I'm doing video stuff. All of this stuff took time for me to figure out the sweet spots. How now that you have this, you know, space that you've been in for five years, do you look around and you're like, I I can still do this better. There's a place over there that I think I can do this better. Talk to me a little about how you decide. Yeah. Talk to me a little about how you decide when you want to, because I know you just opened that new room. How do you make these decisions? Like what, what, what's the prioritizing uh, factor for you? Interesting that you ask because about three months ago, I redid the room that I record drums in. And wait, I which th- room is that? Is that the one straight the one back you, from the control room? Yeah, the one that you had okay. recorded drums in. Great. And I had been recording in there for three to four years. And it was one of those things that every time I recorded, similar issues would pop up. Now, sometimes you can't tell because it's a really good drummer. They'll make it sound better. Or you think it's the mics or you think it's the placement of the mics and you try all these different things to figure it out. But when you get those issues popping up again and again, I think it's, you know, then that's the time to go, okay, you know, there's obviously something that could be made better here. And yeah, I think you got to troubleshoot that stuff as much as possible. Totally. Sometimes you get it on the first try and sometimes it takes four years. And uh, I finally decided, okay, we're going to, I did a carpeting on the ceiling, you know, fully like used one inch um, fiberglass on the ceiling and then just carpeted like the entire thing. And it just like, it was just, it was like a revelation when I did that. I was like, boom, there you go. That was exactly, did exactly what I thought it would do. Um, and that was great. So yeah, I, I take my time when I'm figuring out what is wrong or, or what I need to make better because yeah, a lot of times it could be user error. I'm, I'm looking at my monitors right now, my speakers and Ugh, monitors, the lifelong monitors. quest. You can buy so many, but, um, but I've, I've, you can edit that out, right? <laughs> My edit. I've thought about changing my monitors a million times and 
I just don't because, you know, it's one of those things you got to work through and you got to be like, is it my monitors or do I yeah. kind of suck at this or does this mix actually suck? Do the people who come in, they were really amazing that time. Yeah. But I also look at my monitor setup and it is literally the same monitors that Bob Clearmountain uses. So, I mean, what right. can you say? If if Bob Clearmountain can do it, you you better be able to do it. I mean, every... Every podcast and article you read in tape op will tell you it's all about your ears. And I think all when you know, ears. yeah, and I got these new speakers for the house and I, I bought, cause you know, we have a, a, a mid-century house. It was built in 1950 and I wanted, I'm like, fuck it. We have a, I actually have a mid-century house. I'm going to buy mid-century modern furniture. And I found these nice. uh, Bose, Bose speakers. Uh, I'll send you a picture. I think they're called 301s. They're like the mid-century modern uh, speaker and they're they're probably I don't know three feet off the ground but they're built to be put in the corners of rooms and I got these mm. things 901s sorry Boise 901s I think they're called and I got these things used off the Craigslist and there was a nice guy and he gave me this like he's like this equalizer comes with them he goes because people don't know how to set them up I'm like okay fuck the equalizer I get home I plug them in I'm putting on like whatever I put on I think I put on like a Beatles uh, vinyl and I'm like, this mm. sounds like ass. Like, why does this sound like ass? So, of course, I consult the internet. The internet's like, forget the equalizer. Throw the equalizer out. Move mm. the speakers. The, the idea is the speakers are designed, unlike most speakers, they're designed to reflect off the corners of the wall. And I already had them in the corners. They're literally round in the front. They're like a half. They're like a horn. So they're, it's a 90-degree angle in the back. But... They're literally designed, they were designed in like the 70s for people to really blast shit yeah. in their living rooms. Mm. So I spent probably, they're called Nino, Boise 901s. Bose 901s. Bose, yeah. Bose 901s. And I, I, the ones I got are like third generation. They're probably up to like the sixth generation now. So they're like 80s time. And wouldn't you know it, Rich, I spent an hour just moving those speakers out a little bit, adjusting the EQ uh, on the old amplifier there. And by the time things were all said and done, uh, I had I had the sound system I wanted, but it took that trial and error uh, of physical space and physical movement. Well, I yeah. think you got to be willing to do that and you got to be willing to accept that it might not be... Sure. That great. And I think that that's also when you're making something, whether it be a record or whatever you might be interested in making. If you're if you're able to be like, hey, you know what, we can make this better or, you know, it's I think that's something I learned when we were working on my record together. And when I worked on a lot of stuff is that you got to trust your gut as to what is good and what's bad. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter. You know, you get the table put into your apartment, you get the, you know, bookshelf, you're listening to your guitar part when you're like, Oh no, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But you know, you know, in your gut that it's not, that it's not right. If you're willing to take that, you know, jumping off point and be like, you know what, I'm going to find what does work. I think right. that you'll you'll be much more successful. Limited mileage. Here's three constraints. Which one do you think makes for better creative? The constraint of money, the constraint of time, or the constraint of talent? Money. 
without huh. a doubt money. Like, so you're, you're saying if someone has less money, there's a good chance they can make a better piece of art. Yes. 100%. I would outside go for- of time, outside of time and outside of talent. Yes. But don't you think if someone doesn't have money, they're actually, it's going to make for worse art because they're going to make something that's compromised that'll sell. No. <laughs> I think I, I've listened back to some of the, uh, some of the stuff I've done on like, you know, want to call it the worst equipment or the worst, sure. whatever it is, worst mics. And it's some of the coolest stuff I've done because I was so limited in what I could use. Um, I did a recording of a weird recording of uh, the, the peanut song Christmas time is here. And I had just, and all I had was a Digio 2, which at the time was not a cool thing. It, it had passed its uh, domination <laughs> was it like 1644? of 1644. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so, so it was like, a, all I had was that. I don't even remember what mic I had. I think I might have just had like a <laughs> SM57 and a Rode um, NT1000, which are actually quite good, even though they're not expensive and maybe are shit on by some people. But <laughs> I had just really gotten into filters. Um, I was recording with my good friend Scott Solter, and he's a he's a filter dude. And I had bought like a $60 filter. Um and I was just messing around with it. I was using my Juno and it was like one of the coolest things. I just, I think it was using all stock Pro Tools plugins. Anyway, recorded it, listened back to it years later. And it was one of the most creative and cool things I think I ever yeah. recorded because I was like, I was like, I don't have the money to get the profit aid or whatever it is. And, you know, I got to really put my time into it. Now, I'm going to flip that on you. I'm going to take that and I'm going to flip it. I did a record and I said, you know what? I'm going to get all those synths I always wanted. There's a place in Paramus, New Jersey called Third Wave. And they rent out old synths. And I got the Prophet 8, you know, the coolest one you could get. Maybe not the one John Carpenter recorded on. And I brought it to the studio. I was like, this is it, man. We're going to fucking rock. And I plugged it in. <laughs> and I was pretty underwhelmed by it. Uh-oh. Uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't because it wasn't good. But it was because I had this mentality that if I just plug in the right thing, I don't have to put that extra effort into it. Right. So like Juno and Filter and No Money... But uh, profit and spending a ton of money at a nice studio, you know, you get this idea like, oh, no, man, no, no, no. If you can't make this sound good, you, you know, you're you're awful. But it was like, no, right. it's because I didn't put the extra time in to also make that sound good. So I think that talent, what was the talent and time far more important than money. Got it. I think that that's, uh, a, twist- that's just me. That You know what? That's. That's why we're here. I think that uh, Twisted Sister, Twisted Sister said it best. Stay hungry. <laughs> I do. I also want to say that for me, um, as I've gotten older, and maybe this is 
part of the result of getting older. When I give myself, (laughs) when I give myself a deadline and I put a time frame on something that tends to bring out a little more fire for me. And again, this might be because I don't feel the need anymore to go out and rent the the Juno or the the Jupiter. Which one was it? Jupiter eight? Is that the one? Uh, Profit. Profit. Sorry. Profit. Um, I think that that's why when I, now when I go to the studio, which is more my style now, I'll go to the studio, I'll bring, you know, one of my drummers, one of my multitudes of talented drummers. And I'll be like, do this for, we'll do this for four hours. And that's the constraint is that time in the studio to get that sound. And once that's done, um, you know, I take it away and I can futz with it as much as possible. How are you feeling? I know years ago I I loved mixing and you said you hated mixing. I remember us having this conversation. How do you feel now? Like now that you've kind of mixed a lot of other people's shit, how do you feel about times? Times they are a changing. Yeah. For me, I, you know, I'd say I love mixing uh, in the world of engineering. I'd far prefer to mix for eight days than track for eight days. Uh, You know, I'm a pretty solitary person in a lot of ways. And I just love being alone and being able to fuck with sounds a lot. Um, You know, once I got over that daunting task of like, what does it mean to mix a record? Right, 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 right. uh, you know, which took me like a year and a half. Um, I finally, uh, felt comfortable enough to do that and felt comfortable enough to mess with sounds. And I just love it and loved it. I like being in the position of being able to mess with sounds like, like to levels, which to levels that most people would probably be uncomfortable with. Um, like when I mix, I have a band called Limoncello and um, it's like a Brazilian funk Limoncello is a Brazilian funk band. I think, I think we're going to have something out in April and the amount to which I messed with those sounds and, and just did like weird, crazy stuff with it is, is kind of staggering. And I, and I would never want to show anybody the, the mixing uh, session of it. <laughs> I think it even. I, I think if I opened it up right now, I'd even be confused as to what I was trying to do. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd say I, I, I love it now. Um, You're into it now, and and you know maybe some of that I'm is you it. have. Well, you have the space and the time now. You know, you have the space. You and have time. your own studio now, and and but I talk to people about this a lot because you'll talk to people eh, even in my own business, which isn't involved with making music. Uh, I mean, I have my music business, but this is another side, my other business. I feel like there's lots of things that people could do for themselves. And in a way they just don't have the time. And oftentimes that's when they hire myself and my business partner to step in. And I think even as someone now in 2020 that owns a successful recording studio, Um, and I use that word, however that means to you, but the fact that you've been doing it for five years tells me it's successful. Um, I feel like you still have the, uh, you always have the option to, to keep going deeper and deeper on your own stuff. And that's where I think, Mm. um, that's what I meant by the time constraint. I think sometimes it's good to like, I got to cut it off. And, and also I think it's hard for us because, you know, there's 
that's the wild west. Like, when do I put the new song out? When do I put a record out? Do I put a whole record yeah, out? And yeah. I, you know, I've been dealing with that for the last, you know, couple of years. Like I'm, I'm about to go into the studio again. Tiny telephone in San Francisco is finally closing. And I booked three days wow. there. And, yeah. And I booked three days there with John and, and my friend Jacob to engineer. And, and I have nothing. I'm going to go through and like, just record some stuff that I did on my own years ago and with, with her band. And then I'm just going to sit on it, you know, and like, maybe I'll put a single out here and there. And how do you like, yeah. now that you're, you're in that space, does someone come into you and they say, listen, Rich, I want to do a record. Or do they say, I want to do a song. Like, have you seen a difference in how people are coming to engage with making, making music? You know, a surprising amount of people still want to record records. I, I find it amazing, like full albums. I think it's honestly yeah. incredibly foolish. Um, and people, you know, I have a different kind of studio than a place like Tiny Telephone or Electrical Audio. Whereas, you know, I'm still existing in that like mid-level studio. Uh, this isn't, you know, your friend's you know, set up in his garage. Right. But it's also not Studio G where they have like five different U47 clones. Right. Uh, so I've got good stuff, you know, I'm I'm good at what I do, but I'm maybe not always taking in, you know, sort of like people putting out something on, well, does Matador still even exist as a record label anymore? It does but i think they're mostly trying to get rid of their back catalog but they still put stuff out oh so like yeah it's not really people like that it's it's people who are comfortable with recording but kind of like just trying to do something for fun or or just get something together that they've been writing for a few years whatever that might be so a lot of people come and they want to record a full album and I, I just, I, I don't understand it. Honestly, I kind of think that the full album was a mistake in the chain of musical events, uh, of musical history. And let's look back on the history of music, Greg, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I was blowing my nose and I just started laughing. I'm like, I'm like, let's make this another hour. No, 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 no. Well, we're not going to look you back go. that far. I'm in. All right. Go. 20s, 40s, 20s, 40s. Don't don't forget the 30s, 50s. Well, we're not going to get to the 50s yet. Records are not that long. We're not putting out full albums, obviously, right? Sometimes we're putting out like longer classical pieces, but those are meant to be that. 50s, early 60s to mid 60s, we're putting out singles mostly. People are mostly rocking out to singles. Late 60s, people are like, hey, this album, this full album thing might be, might have something to it. When bands like Sarge, um, the Beatles and the Beach Boys did something successful. Early 70s, you're kind of like, wow, yeah, we could really do something with this album format. You got from the seven, really only from the 70s to the mid 80s, right? You got albums taking off as a concept. Then like, I'd say mid 80s to really like, 2000 you got records that had two good hits yeah and a bunch of filler that's how the record companies were making money uh i mean like i love core by stone temple pilots <laughs> but how many people know any other songs besides uh plush 
right? Wait a minute. There's some good songs on there. You've got <laughs> oh, Plush. Dude. You've got I, Sex I Type it. Thing. You've got... Uh, yeah, who knows Sex Type Thing? That's a great... Like, that's about, a proto... Like, every band ripped that song off. I am, I am. Yeah, but they ripped yeah. it off. <laughs> no, but 100% original band. They were so original and... Um, I argue they're the last classic rock band. Discuss. Depends on what you mean by classic rock, right? I'd say that, you know what I think? I think the White Stripes are the last band to have written a classic rock riff. That's what Ooh. I'll say. Seven Nation Army, what's Good a reframe. riff that was written after that that, that is truly uh, classic? So anyway... Uh, you go into the two. You go into the two thousands. The record industry, um, as a selling records and you know bilking people out of money for the single that's on it, is is started to collapse. Um, people are downloading singles from Napster, and you know you're making your your friends mixtapes from the terrible quality shit you got off of LimeWire or Napster, and uh, I don't know. Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Is that yeah. on a record? Is, it, is that on a record? I don't know. That's a good question. But what about, so, what so about your girl album, Taylor Swift? She still makes great records. She does. She does. I'm not going to argue with her. I think there's room for both, man. No, obviously some people, you know, so some people really excel at it, but I think it really takes a special type of um type of person again i'll like point point back to the mid uh sorry late 60s when everybody was doing an album and everybody had a concept right and it was all about like the mystery of the you know realm of the ghosts or something and there's like two good songs on it i don't want to interrupt but it's also that's the way people listen music was an experience people would come over a new record would come out they'd put it on they'd sit down maybe they'd have a drink smoke some pot that's what music was like. The idea of making a record yeah, was an event. You're right. You're right. And, uh, and, but it's not, I, I don't think it is anymore. And uh, again, I'm not trying to be old man about it, but like other things have taken its place. Um, sure. Like, like at it, like in the late or early 2010s, I mean, apps were far more interesting than music and far more of an experience. And like, totally. I think kids will grow up today and they'll be like oh all the great apps were coming out in the early 2010s and i'm not trying to knock it i mean that was like the experience that you had and that right. you commit i i think you know you and i we like we 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 hung out and talked with friends about like oh mr bungle like what a sick record uh and that's how we got along and i think kids nowadays they get along over like you know and again, I'm not trying to, but like they oh. get along over memes. Like, yeah, bro, did you see that meme? Oh, ha ha. Like cultural currency. Yeah. Songs and bands and music and albums, that would be like a gateway. You would talk to somebody and then they knew Rush or they knew Iron Maiden. And then you'd be like, oh, this person and I have something in common. And all of that yeah. stuff seems to happen in a completely different way. However, yes, I am going to propose something to you, Rich Bennett. And I want you to just let this phrase, I want, I want you to let it kind of, kind of marinate a little bit. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Got, I think, I think you and I are the ones to do this. Are you ready? Quarantine okay. rock. <laughs> I think that somebody may have, may have jumped, 
jumped the uh, jumped the gun on us. That's right, because you never want to be an innovator. You want to be an imitator because the innovators never get successful until years later. But the imitators, they they get we can get that fast buck. You and me. Quarantine rock. What we look into how long it takes people before they're driving themselves crazy on a project sitting at home. What is right. it? 18 minutes, four minutes, six minutes. And we write a <laughs> symphony. We write symphonies for those people. <laughs> what what is the quarantining? I've seen people posting about it, and then I saw one it's, purple make a quarantine. One person make a quarantini and it looked like a friggin' gin martini. And it was like, it's, what is this? It's a gin martini. Yeah. It's any spirit plus uh, emergency. So, oh, you got to put emergency. Yeah. You got to throw it. a packet of vitamin C uh, in there. So you feel they like didn't, this person didn't good. do that. Well, then they didn't make a quarantini. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. All right. They, they made an it, yeah. idiotini. They made a, Gin martini, which is really the only martini that there is. There really is no other, unless you say vodka, please. What, uh, last question, and then I guess we should go to the the Grateful Eight. What, uh, what compelled you to, uh, be in my band all those years ago? What, what was it about me that made you say, I can, I'll back this guy up? What, okay, let's, I, I have an answer, but I actually (laughs) want to (laughs) ask what the first band you were in was. The name of the first band I was oh, in? Like, sorry, sorry. The, the name of the first band of yours that I was in. Was it Greg Hoy and the Boys? I think so. Yeah. I think it was it Greg Hoy been. and the Boys, and then we were twice as bright for a while. No, we were Greg Hoy and the Annihilation for a while. Oh, then we right. were twice as bright. And then I think that was when I left the East Coast. was right around... Which is funny because the twice as bright stuff, I finally kind of dug it up because now I, I bought a piano yeah. again. and I'm like, oh, I used to write songs on piano. So I've been uh, I've been digging through some of that back kind of long. You know, I, I love mean. twice as bright. And Thanks. I mean, I love playing with all those. So. All right. I'm, I don't want to get too, you know, uh, don't get too harsh. It's a tough time. Let's be nice. Oh, to no, 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 no. I didn't. I don't. Not not <laughs> no, harsh. just kidding. I was yeah. just kidding. I don't want to get too sappy here, but yeah. okay. I'll, I'll say about the first time that I, one of the first times I saw you play, uh, and I was with my now wife, Rebecca, I think you were playing at like, um, one of the bars on fifth Avenue. It was just you. In and Brooklyn? I think I had seen, yeah. Was it buttermilk? I did a few uh, solo shows at buttermilk back when I knew yeah, yeah. Okay. Tony, the owner, one of the owners. So it was it was definitely buttermilk then, and I had seen Hoy, and I remember leaving, and I said to Rebecca, "That guy, that guy Greg, like he, like he really embodies what rock is about." I'm crying. And uh, <laughs> no, but I I think so, and and personally, what uh, what I enjoyed and wanted to be in your band for was because it felt like a. Like you're obviously a smart and very aware person, but it felt like an unpretentious, not entirely like, uh, not taking it. I want to say not taking itself seriously, but it, it was not a pretentious take on rock. And at that time there were so many bands, even bands that were doing the same thing that you were doing. And I guess I would say that I was doing with you that like they were doing rock, but it was so like, oh, we have to stay true to the yeah. MC5 sound or whatever it is. And yeah. like, 
And you also, I think we also had a lot of the same, like, and I don't think I realized it at the time, but we had a lot of the same, like, similar rock influences. Like, like I was into 90s rock when it was right. out. And, like, everybody had basically decided that that was bullshit in the mid-2000s. Uh, and, I, and I love, I mean, Eddie Van Halen was, like, one of my yeah. heroes. So, uh, anyway, I would say... Uh, that's that's it. Not getting I too like, snappy, but and I, I'll get. I, I will get. Uh, I always loved that you were down to do whatever. You were DT. I was whatever. down to do whatever because there were times where like you played guitar and I played guitar, and then we did some gigs where it was just you and Alex and you played guitar, and then the last thing we did, which was Century Club, which was pretty much the same shit anyway. You played bass, <laughs> and and I remember when I asked you to play bass, and I think you played bass. Did you play bass in Twice as Bright? I don't know, but you played bass. Uh, I might have like switched around. I think this was how the conversation went, and you can correct me because my memory gets fuzzy. But I think I said, "Hey, do you want to play bass in a new three piece?" And I remember, oh I think I remember you saying, "I've been waiting to play bass. I've been waiting for someone to ask me to play bass." Oh, oh. Yeah, no, that's Century true. Club time. Yeah, I only want to. I only really want to play bass nowadays. I, I'm, I'm done with a guitar. Huh? Uh, not because, not because, like, I'm some kind of. I mean, I am a master of the guitar, but not because I'm like. <laughs> you are not a because I've learned. Not because I've learned everything. Obviously, there's a ton of shit I don't know how to do, but like, I just like. Well, you know me and my personality, and I feel I like do. I maybe chose the wrong instrument. Like, I feel like I've been a bass player all along. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think got, I got more of a bass player personality. I think because, if I might, I think you are good at looking at the big picture. Like, you have a producer's kind of mindset, and I think if you're gonna be oh, in the you. role of I think if you're in the role of bass guitar, that is to me the closest to being the guy, the person, the woman, the, the, the human, the robot throwing it down. Because I, I remember sitting, I was on the tour last year and we were in, where the fuck were we? North Dakota. And I went to this like place, they had great burgers and whatever. And, uh, I was sitting in a booth for like two hours working and it was the perfect sweet spot for every baseline coming on over the, oh, the yeah. PA system. That. Yeah. And I was like, God damn, it was like super tramp. And then like, um, shit, like 96 tears or something, like all this great oh. stuff that I had never oh, That is a of. really good baseline. It was like all this stuff that I never realized was, tears. yeah, so baseline driven. And I was like, more people yeah. need to play the bass because that's really where it's at. Yeah, man. Hearing calling, hearing Colin molding of XTC yeah. was just, it was a revelation. Yeah. The dude is like, he's the dude. No, I think when you go into listening to, especially sixties and seventies, like pop and rock, you hear even some of the eighties stuff, like the bass player. I mean, I never was really into the police, but the bass playing is so much a part of that band or like, totally. um, uh, men at work, the bass player in men at work. I don't even know who the fuck that guy is. Oh, really? And super tramp. Yeah. There's like tons of great bass stuff. Oh, here's one for you. George Michael, all of George Michael stuff. I forget the name of the dude. That guy made George Michael, like every single song that you think oh, is like a synth bass, break it down. It is this one dude. And I forget his name. Um, anyway, was it I'll... Pino Palladino who played? No, no, no. But I do love Pino Palladino's name. Do you love a little Pino? 
Pinot Noir. Limited mileage. No, I like to end every episode with the Grateful Eight, and I I, uh, I am grateful for our friendship, and I am excited to hear your answers to Me these too. eight questions. Are you ready? All right. Uh, try. Grateful Eight. Here we go. Question one, Rich Bennett. What is the greatest concert you've ever seen? The first time I saw Iron Maiden, which was in 2003. They were my favorite band in high school, one of my favorite bands. And I'd never seen them, and Bruce Dickinson was back to sing with them, and I just didn't think anything about it. A friend invited me out. I said, yeah, sure, Dio and Black, um, and Motorhead were also performing. Jesus. And, yeah, it was a great show. But Iron Maiden got on, and I forgot how much I loved everything. And I spent the entire concert out of my seat. All the words that I had ever known came back to me like flooding back it was a it's an emotional moment it was great question two what is the greatest meal you've ever eaten typical as it is i think i gotta say peter luger steakhouse oh i mean you know you can't really what, what can you say about peter luger's you know, we went there in October when we were stranded and it was right when that New York Times article came out saying it was like one star. Do you remember? No. What the yeah. fuck were those guys talking about? <sighs> he made a lot of strong points. Whatever, man. All right. Well, I'll talk about that later. But that you're was such I a, mean, whatever. You're such the- a native New Yorker. What was that great pizza <laughs> place? That great pizza place you turned me on to in Staten Island. Danino's. Yeah, that was No good. longer that great. No longer that great. Uh-oh. Oh, and if you're listening and you're from Danino's, don't send me hate mail because I'm afraid of you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we heard your podcast. We heard your fucking podcast. I'll give you a podcast over there. You listen, gonna- you live in Park Slope. Order out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. That is three. a good one. I think that's a line yeah. from Spaceballs. Question three. Oh. What is the greatest? Oh, yes, yes. Pizza the Hut. Yes. Pizza the Hut is going to order out for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mel Brooks, dude. God bless. Question three. What is the greatest moment you've ever had since starting your business? Does it have to be after the doors were opened? Uh, it could be leading up to or why you did. I mean, you've kind of been your own business since I've known you. So I think you could kind of say anything. I think it was when it was bef- right before we started the business and we did a bit of a build out here. And this was actually a mortgage office before we started. And I remember Rebecca and I were sitting on the concrete floor and we had chalked out where the piano room would be. Nice. And we ordered in some pizza and it was, it was just as like, it was really becoming a reality. Like this thing is going to happen. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and being like, ah, oh, this is the first of many meals we'll eat at. And we didn't have a name yet. We actually still called it the space. Yeah. And so we were like, this is the first of many meals we'll eat at the space. And it was a great time of uh, hope and all that. And well, you know. We know you what know, happens to hope sometimes. Hope is a strong word and something that we must never, ever let go of. It's true. Question four. So, <laughs> what is the greatest compliment you've ever been given? I think it was by 
this guitarist, Ben Monder. And he, I mean, he's he's just, there's absolutely no arguing that if there's nobody better on guitar, just, just at least in terms of technicality. And I had worshipped him when I was in college and like was afraid to go talk to him and uh, sort of struck up a friendship with him about like two years ago. And uh, I overheard him talking to someone else. I think it was to my wife, Rebecca. And uh, she said, he said to her, oh, yeah, well, I mean, like, Rich is an amazing guitarist. And I was just like, wow. That yeah. is, I mean, to get a compliment. You Even if he was like, he's a great guitarist and he didn't, like, say that I was the greatest or whatever. But, like, to hear Ben Monder, one of my heroes, say, you know, that I was a great guitarist, I was, uh, I was, I was flattered. That's a great story. I hope that my parents don't listen to this podcast because they're probably going to they're probably thinking of all the great compliments they gave me. I we believe in you, Richard. You're so special. Whatever it is. I mean, See, let's it, say the, there's they had you and that's the the greatest gift of all, the greatest love of all. It's happening to them. The greatest love of all. Is that going to be a question, the greatest gift? What is the greatest? No. Question five. What is your greatest time of year? I think it's middle of June because for teaching, we're just ending the year. People are excited about the summer. We're still oriented towards the school uh, school calendar, so it feels very exciting for me. I'm going to get a little more time probably to work on some of my own projects. So I'd say middle to end of June. There's a real excitement about that. It's kind of refreshing to talk to a New Yorker that doesn't say fall. A fall is such an obvious answer. Oh, my accent came out there. Sorry. It's such an fall. obvious answer. <laughs> fall is such an obvious answer. Come on. You say the best time of year is fall. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Oh, Go get your bagels and cool shit. Oh, it's so contemplative. Oh, I have time to think. And it just shows the beauty of the world. Come on. Get We've out of here. Before. Get out of here. So over fall. Mm -hmm. Question six. What is the greatest year of your life so far? Uh, I think that the the greatest year of my life would be it was let me just think about this for a second. It was end of 2003, beginning of 2004, when I fell in love with my wife. Aww. And it was, I mean, part of it was that, a, a very large part of it was that. But also, I was just, I just graduated college. And the first year after that, or first year and a half, as many of us know, was absolute shit. And it was only like two years after that that I started being like, hey, maybe things are, you know, I could do some fun things. And like I went on tour with my band. I uh, went to Europe, uh, you know, did did a lot of different things. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm pretty able. And I had a lot of unique experiences and uh, fell in love. So. I guess that's what I should, uh, that's what I'll say. I, while you were saying that whole story, I desperately was trying to play Good Times, Damn Good by David Lee Roth and Steve Vai, which I was unsuccessfully oh. trying to port in underneath while you were speaking, which was why there was a long 
bridge of silence. So I apologize for that. It's okay. But that was the song that was Can't playing in my it head. In? I'll try. Can't yeah. you edit, edit it in later? Edit it, 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 it. We got to be careful when you use copyright music because you can get busted. Because the, the rope. <laughs> I'm gonna. Question seven. What is your greatest regret? My greatest regret <laughs> is living at home during college. Ooh. Now, I have to say, my parents gave me a bit of an ultimatum because I don't think it was their 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 greatest wish that I study music in college, which I completely agree with and think that they were more than right about. Um, but they sort of gave me this ultimatum, which was that if you go to school sort of far away and you choose to study something that is worthwhile studying, you know, go ahead, live there. We'll pay for your dorming. Yeah. If you choose to stay in New York and go to NYU, which was, by the way, more expensive, not as expensive as it is now. And studying music, you have to live at home because we can't afford for you to live in Manhattan. Why? And you know, I, my parents yeah. did the same thing. Why do parents do that shit? I mean, listen, I yeah, I get it. it and it, they really didn't have enough money for, for me to be dorming there. Um, sure. Because even though it was cheaper, it was still ridiculous. And and I I, I will not say that I came from a, a hard, you know, hardship background. But right. like, you know, it was, it was pretty like pretty like right in the middle, right in the middle of the class. And um, so, yeah, so that was what they said. And I said, yeah, I really want to study music. And I stayed at home and it was a terrible idea. And even like my dad and I talk yeah. about it now. Like we, I was on the phone with him the other day. He was like, yeah, that really sucked, didn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> we both agreed that neither of us liked it. Right. But I mean, he, he wasn't a fan. You're making money doing what you went to school for, which most people don't can't say. Arguably. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, that's a longer conversation. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to go down that road, but I will say one that if my parents are listening, I don't want to. No, I just, that. I get it. Like the parents do their best. They're young too. Like my parents were my oh, age. Oh yeah. My parents you know? were. Yeah. I, my parents would not pay for grad school unless it was in a, a category they selected. And I remember talking yeah. specifically to them. I'm like, can I go to school for music for grad school? Cause in regular school I didn't. And they're like, no, we won't pay right. for that. But if you go into X, Y, and Z, which I don't even remember now what it was, we'll pay for it. I don't know. Maybe I'll be the yeah. same way with my child. Maybe I'll be like, listen, I'm only going to pay for you up until you're 18. Then you're on your own. That's probably what I will say to my child. I mean, I look back and think that it was it was pretty – okay, I'll say two things. I, I This was going to be my other regret, but it's also one of my like non-regrets. My other regret is studying music in college. Now, I don't think I would ever have become a musician, which is something that I love doing if I hadn't done it, because I probably wouldn't have had the guts to like continue to do it. But also I'm like, yeah, probably not the best thing to study. So I think you dodged a bullet there. Yeah. Yeah. Personally. And, you know, I didn't learn all that. Right. All that much from it. There's a great interview with Steve Miller years ago and like guitar for the practicing musician or whatever. And uh, he oh, said he had, I love he, that. Yeah. And he had gone to some dude to like 
take lessons in his like later years. And the dude was, he wanted to learn theory. And the dude was like, why do you want to learn theory? You know, you have more, you have offered the world more musically than any yeah, book, you totally. know? Yep. And uh, I think there's something to that, man. It's like when I talk to young, uh, I'll talk to like young people getting ready to go to school and they're like, should I learn to code? Should I spend money to go learn to code? And I'm like, why don't you just learn to code and go get a job doing it and not spend the money to learn this thing? You know, like just yeah. take take the time. There's probably a happy medium. Like maybe you do a year of school or something. But I, the amount of money I spent, I don't know how much I got out of school. Like I got some stuff out of school. I learned leadership. I learned, you know, things. But by God, I could have been making money that whole time, you know? I learned how to roll a joint. <laughs> oh, dude, I remember the first time I was at a party in high school and someone, no fucking joke, pulled out Pink Floyd The Wall, the double LP, opened it up and dumped a whole pound of weed in the middle of it to divvy it up. <laughs> and I remember having this moment like that this is insane. I was like, this That's is the ridiculous. way it's supposed to be. This is it. A this pound? is how, yes, they, the dude had went and bought a pound and he was splitting it up into quarters for people. And he's like, he put it, he's like, I got to do this on the right record. I guess this is mid sixties. So yeah, weed was less potent. There. We, we invented the wheel right after that. Uh, ha, ha. Last question. Thank God. All right. Yeah. Question eight. Rich, what is the greatest advice you've gotten or can give? I think it's more give. And I think it's something that I need to tell myself more often, which is trust your instincts. I mean, you know, how how often in life, it pretty much the things I think we look back on and we say, we wish we had done differently are those things where we're like, you know what? I had the feeling, I had the feeling I was doing the wrong thing or yeah. that I, w I should have done something. I mean, you know, I can't think of a, you know, you talk about regrets or something like that. I can't think of a time, like if I do have a regret that it wasn't because I said, ah, I didn't follow, didn't follow my instinct on that. So that would be my advice. Trust your gut. What's yours? Trust your gut. I don't know. Uh, I have not. The, the best advice, uh, I, I, that's a great question. I think it's, um, I think trust your gut's good. I think it's up there with maybe, um, it doesn't hurt to do it yourself. I think that's a big one for me. Mm. Like in anything, it's worth it to try to the, as far as you can. But then the other side of that is you shouldn't be afraid to ask for help. So there's something in there. Yes. You know, that I think, I, um, yeah. I got one for all your high falutin hippie woo listeners that you may have. <laughs> I love how I really am trying hard to just like alienate every um, possible listener and uh, elicit all this hate mail I'm hoping for. Um, you, you, I, no, 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 I'm flattered. I'm flattered that you think a lot of people will listen to this. I really am. <laughs> well, I hope that the people who listen to it, you know, uh, dislike me enough to have a reaction to it. Right. So no, 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 Probably. but here's, here, here's one. The, one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten or heard and then heard changed by the very person who gave the same advice was we all know that Joseph Campbell is famous for having coined follow your bliss. Right. right? But did you know 
that later in life he said, I wish I hadn't said it that way. I wish I had said, follow your bliss, Ters. And I think that that's one of the be- that's one of the best things I have ever up. heard. You're making this no, up. No, I s- swear to God, you that's made, what that's he said. That's a dad was, joke. No, it's not a dad joke. It's it's a it's a serious thing because everybody who who invokes follow your bliss usually invokes it for some bullshit like oh I want to just like go out and you know, get high in a field or something like that, not like care about anything. And I think the point of that was like, you derive bliss from um, something like music or art. It's not just about like hanging out in your bedroom, smoking pot, recording, you know, yourself. It's about like really putting in the work, following your bliss to the point where you're putting your time and sweat into it. I mean, Michelangelo followed his bliss, but he didn't fucking hang out and not do anything all day. So anyway, it's not a dad joke. It's Joseph Campbell. You could look it up. All right, here it is. Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. Then he retooled it later on to follow your blisters. And then that's it. That's the best piece of advice. Take that for what it's worth. If you want to say I'm full of shit, oh, then no, say I'm full of shit. And it's can, on Wikipedia. No, no, not you. No, I'm telling your listeners. I always thought the phrase was follow your bris, <laughs> which, which which means you really should spend the rest of your life looking for the parts of you that finding have been, your foreskin have been cut off. Hey, that's, you know, you make a, you can make a case for it. Well, what about finding your kiss, which is where do I find three dudes to make the best rock and roll band? <laughs> Willow Wright. We no, just, wait, I, it's not Willow Wright. I went, what is the Paul Stanley thing? Uh, when they made the record of people let me clear right. this, get this off my chest. That's the name of the no, record. No. Oh, but he's it, <laughs> it's just his like between song banter. People let me get this off I know, my but chest. he's got one thing, and it's not well all right, but it's like something that he says at the beginning of each one. People, I gotta uh, tell you something or yeah, something. Yeah, people, I gotta tell like you. That. Uh I we just went and saw Another them two weeks ago. So completely time. overrated band. What? You know what? I think this podcast <laughs> is over. And if Andy, uh, whatever his name is, is listening. Rappaport, he won't listen. He, he Andy Rappaport. <laughs> well, Rich, I want you to stay happy and healthy. And I'm so uh, I'm excited to hear the new adventures of the newest room at Acme Hall recording in Park Slope. Yes. And, uh, you know, you and everyone else heed all of the precautions no time to fuck around it's true you know try and uh try and keep keep as focused as you can on what you can take care of and uh let's help each other through this difficult time make art make art as well post it on instagram so your friends can enjoy it bye rich bye rich bennett ladies and gentlemen be sure to check out Rich's new record on the Spotify. Roman Angelos. Roman Angelos. R-O-M-A-N-A-N-G-E-L-O-S. Spacetronic Lunchbox. Subscribe at iTunes to the podcast. LimitedMileage.com. 
fun videos from the tour last year. And um, stay healthy out there, friends. Later. Limited mileage.